It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. Yeah, the president sounded like he's concerned about it, but no specifics, no change in policy. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. Following President Biden's address to Congress last week, there is renewed interest in a bipartisan compromise over an infrastructure package, with Republican Senator Shelley Moore Capito of West Virginia saying she had a constructive discussion with the president on that topic. Meanwhile, a small group of lawmakers, including Senators Tim Scott and Cory Booker and Representative Karen Bass, continue to talk to advance a bipartisan police reform bill. So what about this? Is it real? With that, let's bring in our all-star panel this week, former communications director of the DNC, executive director of the Institute of Politics and Public Service at Georgetown University, Mo Alethi, Washington Post columnist and AEI resident fellow Mark Thiessen, and pollster at Echelon Insights and Fox News contributor Kristen Soltis-Anderson. Kristen, when you look at the numbers across the board of uh, polling you know, the question's always asked, do you want a bipartisan solution? Do you, you know, and, and depending on how it's asked, it's usually overwhelming that yes, yes, they do. Um, are, is the Biden administration looking at those numbers or looking at the clock uh, when it looks to 2022? I think the Biden administration is looking to 2022. They understand that in order for them to be competitive in sort of midterm that would historically favor Republicans, um, they'll need to have some sort of message to those who might be on the fence, swing voters who like the idea of both parties having a say in government. Of course, when voters answer poll questions asking, do you want bipartisanship? Typically in their minds, bipartisanship means the other party comes to me. So you tend to see those numbers, perhaps looking a little higher than they might be. There are probably fewer Democrats that are really that interested in having Republicans shape policy in the same way that Republicans aren't always very eager for Democrats to do the same. But I think that if the Biden administration, if he ran with so much rhetoric around this idea of being a unifying president, and then when there are good faith offers from Republicans to do $600 billion infrastructure deals, if Democrats don't take those seriously, I do think that could be very off-putting to some of these swing voters. Mo, when um, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez comes out and says that progressives are pleasantly surprised about President Biden and his progressive push, um, and maybe they continue on that that road with just Democrats, uh, if this bipartisan negotiation doesn't work, do moderate Democrats care about that? Look, I think um, uh, the president has done what he said he was going to do when he governed or when he campaigned. And there's something in there for both progressives and and moderates. 
I think uh, what you're seeing now is actually a good sign, right? Republicans and Democrats sitting down the way they used to and starting to hammer out the deals. Both sides kind of come out at the start saying, here's what we want. And they start to see where uh, where they meet. And the Biden administration has started to signal even more how how interested it is in doing that, signaling now that it's okay if we break up the uh, the infrastructure bill into smaller pieces. And you know we're not going to pull back on all the things we want, but if we can pass some of it in standalone legislation instead of uh, an all or nothing bill, uh, they are signaling that they're open to that. So I do feel like the past couple of days, we have seen uh, some promising signs that we might actually be able to get parts of this done in a bipartisan way. Some of it progressives are going to love, some of it moderates are going to love, some each side is going to hate. But but I do feel like there is a path to actually get results. And what Biden has said consistently, consistently is the results are the most important thing for him. He'll do it in a bipartisan way when he can, but results are the most important thing to him. There may be a path to actually achieving both right now. Mark, when you look at 103, 104 days, um, you know, the first effort at bipartisanship with Republicans sitting in the Oval Office kind of pitching the COVID stimulus alternative or start the negotiation never really transpired. So there is some skepticism, I think, in Republican circles about how bipartisan this may be. Yeah, I think uh, with all due respect to my my very good friend, Mo, uh, I think what they're trying to do right now is fake it better than they did under COVID. So, so in the in the COVID relief bill, they never had any intention of compromising. They wanted to pass one point nine trillion dollars. They had a, they had a path through budget reconciliation. They could do it. And they had one meeting for show um, and then basically said that day we're not we're, we're not compromising on the number and stop negotiating. Uh, this time around, uh, they realized they probably ought to put on more of a show uh, and try and negotiate a little bit more. And the truth is, look, Republicans have come forward with six hundred uh, billion dollars. If you look at the Politico analysis of the Biden bill, only thirty-seven percent of it is actual infrastructure. Uh, maybe uh, if you add uh, if you add water, clean water, uh, it's up to nine hundred billion. That's real infrastructure, but certainly not two point you know two two five or whatever the the top line number is. You can come out with a compromise between nine hundred and six hundred pretty easily if you wanted to, but I don't think they want to do that. Um, I think they would. They have a path through budget reconciliation, and and uh, they're going to make a show of negotiating, and then they're going to they're going to they're going to jam it through. The police reform is a different ball of wax because you can't pass police reform through budget reconciliation. You need a filibuster-proof majority in the Senate. And since Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema have said they are not budging on the on the on the filibuster, they need Tim Scott if they want to pass. Uh, a police reform bill. So there's actually hope of some bipartisanship there if they want to get something done. But I think on the infrastructure, uh, they're going to they're going to pass it. And then they can, quite frankly, they can use the, they can use budget reconciliation three times in a single year. So they could actually pass a lot of their American families plan through budget reconciliation. So I, I, I'm not very hopeful. Kristen, um, the you know, the take from the administration, Ron Klain, the White House chief of staff out over the weekend saying that it was because of their bold action in the COVID-19, what I say, COVID-19 stimulus, very little of it dealt specifically with COVID-19, but that first stimulus effort, theirs, um, that really jump-started this economy. But the evidence suggests that 
you know, that money's not even out the door. The money from the first stimulus pre-Biden administration isn't fully spent as of yet, and yet the economy is recovering. Do most people get that, or is it because is it the action that gets uh, positive results from the American public? I think Americans know that the economy was doing very well before this pandemic came and really wrecked what had been an incredible uh, economic boom for this country. And they know that the pandemic that, you know, many of the things that we had to do in order to uh, flatten the curve in order to make sure that our health system wasn't overwhelmed, um, were going to have an effect and that that wasn't something that one party or the other could really control. But I think at this point now, with the science really saying that these vaccines are safe, they work, we should be able to be getting back to normal and doing so quickly. I think there is a sense of optimism as people begin to get back to normal, engage more in the kind of economic activity they were before, that it's not necessarily about one party or the other who got money out the door, but rather the fact that we're able to go back to doing so much of what the American economy does best when these restrictions are, are beginning to get lifted and we can return to that normal that we were at before COVID uh, came along. Yeah, Mo, fair to say Biden's responsible for the recovery? Look, I think it is fair to say that, uh, and I think a lot, I think, you know, I've certainly said this, and I believe a lot of other Democrats have said this. Look, you can give the Trump administration credit for um, Operation Warp Speed and supporting the development of the vaccine. At the same time, you can give the Biden administration a lot of credit for uh, accelerating. And, and, and helping get that vaccine in people's arms very quickly. So I, you know, I, I think a lot of this is the economy, and we all know this, the economy uh, is a lot of times uh, tied to people's confidence in it. And people are feeling more confident now, right? We, we, we're, we're turning the corner, more people are vaccinated, restrictions are being relaxed as a result of more people being vaccinated. We're starting to see uh, the stimulus, uh, both the the one that was passed last year and the one that was passed this year, starting to to get out there and supporting small businesses and getting in people's pockets. All of that, I think, is turning the corner and giving people just a lot more confidence in this economy, and, and that's helping it rebound. So I think there's a lot of credit that can be taken and that can that can be shared. Meantime, uh, Mark the. Democrats seem to be singing from the same sheet of music. At least uh, progressives seem happy about things so far. That could change depending on what happens with the bipartisan element that we just talked about. Um, but Republicans do seem pretty divided when it comes to um, moving forward past the last election. President Trump uh, today saying he'll begin to use the term the big lie um, when describing what he said are the stolen the stolen election. Uh, Liz Cheney, who's been under fire inside the Republican caucus, uh, tweeted out the 2020 presidential election was not stolen. Anyone who claims it was is spreading the big lie, turning their back on the rule of law and poisoning our democratic system. Pretty cut and dry, unambiguous, uh, making a stand there. Uh, and Mark, that that is a problem going forward for Republicans pretty divided, even though they have the prospect of big success in 2022. Uh, well, Republicans can always be their own worst enemies. I mean, we saw it during the uh, the Tea Party in the uh, in uh, in the first term of Obama, where, you know, we had all these winnable Senate seats, but uh, nominated a bunch of uh, a bunch of people who were unelectable and lost the opportunity to take back the Senate. 
Uh, so, you know, the Republican Party is often its own worst enemy, without a doubt. And look, Liz Cheney is one of the most courageous people in American politics. The fact that she's willing to take this stand, even though there's no political upside for her whatsoever, that she may lose her her position in leadership. She's going to get a primary challenge backed by Trump. Uh, you know, God bless her for, for speaking out. Um, but, you know, for me, the, what I'm focused mostly on right now is what's happening in Washington, not what could happen in, in four years from now. And the real big lie of the 20, 20, uh, the last election is that Joe Biden was a moderate who wanted bipartisanship, was going to unify the country. That's a big lie, too. Uh, you know, and what seems to be happening right now is that they, the Democrats know they have a, uh, their hold on power is precarious. They got a 50 50 Senate. They got a narrow like, six vote majority in the House. They could lose control of one or both houses in, within 18 months. And so they have a limited window of opportunity to ram through as much of their agenda as possible. So they are going to try and ran through $6 trillion in government spending that makes uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's heart sick. Um, and so, yes, I, I, we, the Republican Party certainly has uh, challenges in terms of, uh, of, of its big lie, but the Democrats' big lie is that they have any interest in, in, in doing what Joe Biden, Joe Biden campaigned on. He didn't campaign on becoming the most progressive president in American history, which is what he's fast becoming. He campaigned on a promise to unite the country and not we not pass things that have some support of Republican voters to unite Republican and Democratic legislators together to get things done. Um, and that hasn't happened and he hasn't even tried. Guys, let's hold it right there. We'll continue after this. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go to home services marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Chris, let's be unambiguous here as well in that uh, there are several states that changed uh, the rules about how the elections operated because of COVID-19 and and concerns about people uh, having access to the polls. There are questions about how that all was done, but there is still no evidence of massive widespread fraud that could overtake the numbers of any of these states, let alone four states, for Donald Trump to win. So just to be clear here, and every time we do this thing and we talk about any of the party, it's just important to know that that Liz Cheney is accurate in as far as the election goes. 
there are questions and there are states that are dealing with it. Uh, but this issue is hurting Republicans, isn't it, Krista? I think at this point, the, the risk is that by saying that the election was rigged, that by changing some of these laws, to what extent are Republicans actually either depressing their own voter base or in some ways making it harder for their own side to win? So take the example of my home state of Florida, which I think is actually prior to, you know, leading up through 2020 is a model state for how elections can be run. For a long time, they've had pretty widespread mail-in balloting in terms of absentee. It's not universal, um, but lots of folks have participated in it. The Florida Republican Party in particular, got very good at registering senior citizens who might have had a challenge making it out to the polls themselves. And Florida is a great state in that they count their ballots very quickly. You know, on election night, exactly what happened, where and when. And there's no ambiguity, none of this nonsense of ballots coming in days later and what have you. And yet the Florida legislature has decided, well, we're going to change some of that. We're going to roll back some of what was frankly a really good system prior, uh, you know, even up through the 2020 election. And now today there are articles saying that these changes to the laws may actually depress some Republican voter turnouts or make some of that old mail-in voting program that the Florida GOP was so good at harder to execute. So there are all the time unintended consequences. I think the discussion of so many of these laws winds up getting... uh, There's so much hyperbole and so much rhetoric around it. It's wise to think about what are the changes we made during the pandemic that we can roll back, that we can get rid of once we're no longer in a pandemic, and what changes are actually good for democracy and might be worth keeping long term. But it's too often very hard to have those discussions because both sides are very fired up about these issues. Mm-hmm. Mo, I, I don't want to dwell on this and we'll move on, but it seems to me like Democrats are licking their chops over the prospect of running against Donald Trump again in 2022 um, as he you know, continues to stir up the, the pot here. And, um, and perhaps that that's a benefit to Democrats. Republicans heading into 22, it should be paint by numbers historically for them to pick up the needed seats in both the House and Senate to take control. Yeah, I think the more act, I mean, uh, Republicans have made the calculated decision that they need Donald Trump, that without Donald Trump, they, it will depress their base, that he's the only person that can that can keep their base fired up. First of all, that is a very sad state of affairs for a party to put all their eggs into the basket of one person. If they can't, if they believe that they can't run on an ideology, that they have to tie their fortune to the personality of this one man, that shows real systemic challenges in the Republican Party. But that it may be true that they need him to turn out their base. But the one, the one unifying factor that Donald Trump has is that he fires up the Democratic base just as much or, 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 or more than he does the Republican base. And so the more 2022, uh, the Republican Party ties its fortunes to Donald Trump, uh, you know, going back to Kristen's point about unintended consequences, I think it will do more to generate excitement and energy with the Democratic base than anything else uh, th- they could do. Mark, uh, just to flip the script here, uh, the woke um, culture, the the political correctness, um, it seems like Democrats have their own issue there that um, that at some points has gone too far to the point where independents look at it and say, this is ridiculous on a number of different fronts. And that uh, the pendulum swings that way, too. 
It does. Um, there's the there's overreach in terms of cancel culture and uh, and all the things you cited. The response to Tim Scott's uh, uh, speech was horrendous. Uh, and then there's over legislative overreach. Uh, you know, the American people didn't vote for socialism. In fact, they voted for Joe Biden because he said, "I'm not the socialist. I beat the socialist." And so, if they're getting uh, socialism and they're getting six trillion dollars in spending, which quite frankly makes the makes the New Deal look uh, mild by comparison, there's an opening there for Republicans. The problem for Republicans Republicans becomes uh, are they capable of taking advantage of that? And are you know the, 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 the and the, the other thing going into this, quite frankly, is that if you looked at the polls going into the going into the last election, uh, Gallup poll right before the election said a, a plurality, forty nine percent of uh, plurality of Americans said that they agreed with with Republicans on the issues, with Donald Trump on the issues. Uh, so what Trump's problem that he that he, the reason why he poses a threat to the party is he hasn't figured out why he lost. Uh, people didn't reject Trumpism in the uh, in the election. They rejected Trump. They rejected. They were tired of the uh, of the. Uh, they were exhausted at all the fighting and the, and the uh, you know the the the, the second the first debate and the uh, fighting with reporters at COVID news conferences and all the rest of that. He turned off a lot of voters who liked his policies, who supported what he was doing, like the economy. Fifty four percent of Americans said I bet we're better off now than we were four years ago, but they still didn't vote for him. If he if Republicans can't figure that out and if Trump can't figure that out, then they're going to lose again. So we'll end where we started, and that is the bipartisan push. You know, when it comes to police reform, um, there there seems to be a Tim Scott way out of this uh, for uh, the Biden administration and to negotiate with him and try to get something uh, specific. But if they push too far and don't get a deal on this and make this an issue, Kristen, um, that doesn't play well. I know Joe Biden says he doesn't want to defund police, but there are some still in the party who uh, have have expressed sentiments like that. And it really turns people off. There are even Democratic strategists I know who have said, look, one of the biggest mistakes that that we could make would be falling into the trap of letting things like defund the police become our main message. And of course, in the last few weeks, you even had some take it a step further, say abolish the police is 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 our message. And that's the last thing that Democrats need sort of hanging over their head in a midterm. I think that Democrats were foolish to dismiss the efforts of Tim Scott last summer when he was putting forward um, an idea for a way to have both parties come to the table on this issue. We know that for Republicans, in all of my research, lack of support for the police is one of the things that Republicans are most concerned about. So if you have a good faith effort coming from a prominent Republican saying, I want to work with you on this, you should absolutely take it. Yeah. And the, it was about politics, right, Mo? I mean, they didn't want that to all come to fruition before the election. Well, I mean, I think there were there were some substantive things, but the election certainly didn't help uh, them figure out a way to get around those substantive things. I look, I think this is one of the best chances. Mark referenced this earlier. Couldn't agree with him more. This is one of the best chances we've seen in a while to find real bipartisanship. You've got Tim Scott, who is a rock solid conservative. You've got Cory Booker and Karen Bass, who are rock solid progressives. They they like each other, they respect each other, and they are leading the charge on this. Uh, it, it is smart for Republican leadership to just defer to Tim Scott on this and just say, you got this, We're, we, we got your back. You're not seeing a lot of sniping from, from the sidelines. Same is true on the Democratic side. We'll see what they can hammer out. But I have heard a level of optimism from all the players in this that you don't usually hear. 
Um, and uh, and I think it's it's encouraging. It shows that that you know take some of the toxicity out of out of the uh, out of the process, and, and maybe we can get some results. And so we end where we began. Thank you all. Uh, here's a little historical trivia for you. On May first. 1960, a spy plane piloted by American Gary Powers was shot down over central Russia on the evening of a summit meeting between President Eisenhower and the USSR's Nikita Khrushchev. It was this incident that caused the summit to be canceled, intensifying the already combustible relationship between the two countries. That will do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and review. We want to hear from you. For Mo, Mark, and Kristen, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.